From the big screen to the small screen and everything in between, this is the Screeners Podcast, where all media is appreciated, but none is safe. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Screeners Podcast. This is Chris. And Chad. Melody. And I'm Josh. Josh! Josh, you're back! He's yes. shocking, isn't it? You guys went and got all popular without me. No one knows who I am. How did you suck <laughs> me back in here? I could have just slinked off into the ether. No. That's right. There was way too much positivity. We had to bring it back into balance. That's you right. That's exactly. the reality. The cold, That's... harsh reality of... <laughs> what we found is that yep. there, were, there were too many of us seeing all the things we were talking about, and it just right. didn't feel right. <laughs> That's right. Not that would be the reason to bring me back. <laughs> Welcome back, okay. Josh. Welcome back. It's good to have you, man. If you haven't been able to experience the wonderfulness that is Josh Ziegler, uh, you will tonight. And we're excited to be able to bring him back into the fold of the Screeners podcast. Guys, listen, we would not be able to do what we do without you. So if you're listening to the podcast and you want to be able to talk about something specific, or if you've not heard something that you really think is important that we should know, please get in touch with us. Let us know. We want to be able to feed off what you're interested in and make the podcast as best as we possibly can. So however you want to get in touch with us, whether that's Facebook, uh, through our website at screenerspodcast.com, there's really no excuse. Let us know how we can make this thing better and we will do it. But for right now, let's dive straight in to Jump Cuts. Jump All right, guys, welcome to Jump Cuts. This is our lightning round segment of the podcast where each of us brings a question or topic to discuss, and we all have 60 seconds to give our answers. If we go over 60 seconds, you will hear this sound. So hopefully we won't be getting too many of those buzzers tonight. So let's go right into Jump Cuts. Well, it looks like they gave me the first crack at jump cuts for my first episode back. Thanks for making me write notes on something, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if you've been following either HBO or the Internet news in general, you know that a couple weeks ago on John Oliver's show, he did a fantastic segment about net neutrality and how telecom industry is trying to kill it how a few people are trying to save it, and he called on all the internet trolls to comment on the FCC's site. They crashed the site, and it was all hilarious. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So that's my media tie-in for this jump cut. But I saw this article today. It was actually posted on our Facebook page a while back. And in a way, the headline is a little misleading, but it's also true, which is sad and scary. So the headline to this article is Netflix could be classified as a cybersecurity threat under the new CISPA rules. And basically it's about a new cybersecurity bill that is winding its way through the realm of old people in Congress. And <laughs> as most things go on the technological side of our legislature, the language is way too broad and anything could be considered a threat if it basically takes up bandwidth and could possibly slow another service down. And the article goes into saying that, of course, this is an easy way for the telecom industry to backdoor a two-tiered internet without the FCC having to let them do so or anything because they have approval from Congress now. So this is all fantastic in 1984, and (laughs) I would like to hear everyone's um, opinion on this. So let's start with Chad. On the one hand... It just infuriates me because the the Congress and the Senate, the fact that these people are voting on things 
that they have absolutely no freaking clue about blows my mind. And so that it just it, it infuriates me. And then number two, when it's going to lead to something like a two-tiered internet, I, you know, my only response to that is, don't we already have that already? Right? I mean, I, I have 100 megs at home, and I pay more than, you know, my brother who has 25 megs at home. Uh, and so it kind of is already there. What I don't want is them to then come in and say, now, if you have Netflix, it's going to be an extra this. Or if you right. have this, it's going to be an extra that. And so it's, it's, it's one of those things that it's so obvious and so frustrating that I just don't even know what to say. I'm just dumbfounded that this kind of stuff can still happen in 2014. So I don't know. I guess I just give up. Can I just interject and say, what else did you think Congress does other than do things that they know nothing about? Uh, no, you cannot say that, but oh. thanks. Well, no, it's uh, true. Yeah. It's, I, I, yeah. I mean, it's not just this. I mean, it's everything. This is, this is anyway. So. I'm going to stick my neck out and say, I agree with Chris. Awesome. What? All right, let's move on. On the first time back, you agree with Chris? <laughs> Where were you when we were talking about Transformers? Transformers, <laughs> yes. Very wrong. Well, as long as we talk about Ninja Turtles later. We can have some fun oh, there. We're doing, we're doing it. All, All right. right. So, Melody, how about you? I realize that this response is probably going to alienate me from the three of you and probably many of our listeners, but... I try and read all this stuff. My eyes just kind of glaze over. I mean, <laughs> if you people want me to stage a revolt with you, I will stage a revolt with you. I, tr I just, I just don't really care all that much. Am I going to be happy if I slow down my Netflix? No, I'm not going to be happy. But if I'm not going to do something to change it, then I probably just don't really have time to complain about it too much. So I'll let you guys take the time wow, to complain. Wow. So this is the reason why we're I'm in so trouble. Sorry. Because yeah. Melody, like sorry. Melody's one of those, I don't need any privacy. I don't do anything bad. Well, this isn't really, okay, so this isn't about privacy. No, it's an example of, you know, whatever. I just, you know, someone will come in and save the day and save oh, good. my Netflix. <laughs> Anonymous, help John, us. John, John Oliver is the one who will come and help us. <laughs> He's trying. He is. He is. I love so, it. So, Chris, do you care more than Melody cares? Oh, very, very much so. I'm not a fan <laughs> of anything that could jeopardize a free and open internet. I mean, that's, to me, it's insane that a company can, in some way, uh, stop or block a service based on anything. And no matter what that looks like, I feel like it's a dangerous, slippery slope if we begin to allow a company to decide, well, that could be potentially be dangerous, even though it's you know, as innocuous as something like Netflix. It's taking up too much bandwidth, so that may stop us from being able to do something else that's needed or necessary for the government to function, so we're going to shut or slow down Netflix. So for me, I think legislation should be specific enough to not allow something like this to happen, especially in this case, because the internet is an important piece of our daily life, and we need to make sure that we have that thing free and open and allow for anybody to have access to. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. How about you, Josh? All right. I will take up the end of the train here and say <laughs> that I have to wonder who you know actually wrote this law. You've got you've got some terrorism paranoia in there, of course, but my bet is that the telecom lobbyists got a phrase in here and yeah, there. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. This wording is just beyond ridiculous, and it's <laughs> I I'm with you, Chad. It's time for people who don't know jack about technology to stop being the ones making all the laws about yes. technology. 
Of course, people like Louis Gohmert don't care whether Netflix is slower. I'd be shocked if Louis Gohmert knew how to operate an electric can opener. (laughs) (laughs) What's an electric can opener, just for the record? (laughs) Well, I had to pick something below a VCR because because that's just way up there for him. And I'm just picking on him because he's one of the more vocal yokels out there. Of course, there are a bunch of others. Vocal yokel. Vocal yokels. Do you like that? I I do. It's true because it rhymes. (laughs) That's right. And, of course, there are a bunch of others just like him, just as bad, taking all their money from the telecoms and not caring what happens to the technological infrastructure that we helped pioneer in this country. It was tax money that built the telecom infrastructure in the U.S. through giant subsidies, and it's time we regulated it like the public utility it is. End political rant. Welcome back, Josh Ziegler, folks. Welcome back. (laughs) Thank you. He's back. He is back. I would drop my mic, but it would make a loud noise. Drop the mic. Uh, I can't agree with you more, Josh, though. Number two. All right, guys. So biblical epics are still upon us, and they are coming out with an even greater flow. We are very close to a brand new biblical epic coming out entitled Exodus, Gods, and Kings. This is the new one from Ridley Scott. I don't know if you guys have had a chance uh, to actually watch the trailer or not, but I'm interested to know what your reaction is was number one to the trend of biblical epics, biblical films coming out, and then also this specific trailer itself. So, Melody, what'd you think? <laughs> well, you know how much I loved Noah, so you probably yes. know yes, that I'm do. kind of a fish on it. <laughs> it's a fun trend. I mean, these are stories that are kind of timeless. They've been around for a long time, and it's great to like remake them. We're remaking everything else. Why not remake this? Now, I'm sure that any follow-up to like the Ten Commandments has got to be very epic, and I'm not entirely sure that Christian Bale can fill Charlton Heston's shoes here. Uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> I feel a little weird seeing him as Moses, not going to lie. Those damn dirty apes. Uh, I'm still really excited for this movie, you guys. I think the trailer looks great, so I'm excited. And I think I think Ridley Scott will do it right. I hope he will. We shall see. <laughs> you will. Chad, how about you, man? What did you think of... Gods and kings. So Melody cares more about this trailer than she does them stopping her Netflix. That's interesting. One of the things about this is I I was not a fan of Noah because it was for whatever. Okay. Anyway, but I I have said a a long time ago when we were very just starting, you know, to hopefully talk about maybe if we could make our own movies, what would it be? I've always said that if they took – a lot of the stories that are in the Bible, regardless of what you think about the Bible, if you just take some of the timeless stories and did like a serious, hardcore kind of take on them, then I think that it, there's lots of potential for very interesting and epic kind of things. And Ridley Scott, I think, is certainly the kind of director that could bring that to the table. And by the looks of this trailer, it seems like that's the direction that they're going. So if it yeah. uh, if it's serious and not silly and, and they really take it like in a hardcore kind of direction, I think it could be great. And the visuals in the trailer uh, are pretty stunning. So I would say I'm pretty excited about it. Josh, how about you, man? Tell us how much you're excited about this. Mm. Well, I'll start off by saying I, I watched the trailer. Uh, oh, good. About, yeah. about 20 yeah. minutes ago. It's a victory. Yeah. 
So we've had both Genesis and now Exodus this year, and so you know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Coming summer 2015, Leviticus. Leviticus, Children of the Unclean, which will feature two hours of people who accidentally put on cotton poly blends being forced to stand outside the city oh, God. with all the people in their menstrual cycles. Oh. <laughs> He's okay. back, folks. He's back with a okay, vengeance. So. So bad. He's back with a vengeance. Also on my list of jokes for this one, 300, now with Bible names. But yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the menstrual cycles blends. was better. Yeah, <laughs> that's always. Uh, fun. That's always I, fun. I had a debate with myself over whether to add that last phrase in there, but <laughs> got to commit. You never know when I'll you be did. back here. You got to go all in. Oh, we know. So, <laughs> so I, I guess retelling the ancient stories is great and all, and there's a lot of material there. I've just grew up with them, and I've heard the stories so much that. I, I still feel like making these blockbuster epics out of them is either misplaced pandering on the part of the studios or just good old-fashioned lack of originality. Just write a new story. Write something new. Well, you know, there's only like five stories ever, but repackage it. <laughs> I don't think it's misplaced pandering. I think it's actually very smart pandering. Cause exactly. <laughs> yeah. but, but you're right. Well, I think it's pandering. So the reason I say it's misplaced is because they end up alienating the audience by making taking artistic license with stories that they're trying to pander with. Right. Sure. Yeah, they, they can't quite just commit to one particular audience. They want to be able to be artistic right. as well and, and mm -hmm. go someplace that is new and different, but that ticks off people who are religious or it ticks off people who aren't. And then you're, you know, you need to pick one or the other. Well, I, I, I agree, guys. I think the story has always had Hollywood written all over it. I mean, it's an epic. It's been done several times, but I feel like why not again this generation let's let's see that story again on the big screen and i feel like this could be interesting because chad just like you say we can look at it a little bit more hardcore a little bit darker maybe focus on things about the characters that we've never been able to focus on before and not get such white hat black hat good guy bad guy type stuff be mm -hmm. able to kind of see the the, the small differences between uh, the the characters there so you know we'll see i mean but I, I think ridley scott for me kind of sold it christian bale's kind of an eyebrow raiser but i feel like it, it could definitely work out and, and be pretty great so we'll see i think christian bale's a marvelous actor though i mean batman we laugh at that but if you look at like his roles in the fighter and things like that where he didn't really make sense but he yeah. did a great job. I think, I mean, who knows? We'll see. No, I like Christian Bale. Don't get me wrong. But I still feel like when I think of Moses, I don't, I, I don't know. I love right, but Christian the, Bale. The I mean, I freaking of, love him. Yeah, but Moses in the Bible, at least in that sense, wasn't the Charlton Heston kind of epic sweeping. This is the, right? I mean, there was a, an arc. Oh, there was an arc there. So maybe how about, how about Mickey Rourke? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right. Really interesting. Mm. Well, do, you know, Moses always talked about how he couldn't speak. <laughs> That's oh, right. <laughs> let's just move on. Let's just move on right now. Number three. All right, from the Old Testament to North Korea, we talked about our most anticipated films of 2014, and this was one of the ones on my list. It's the Seth Rogen and James Franco comedy, The Interview. And after seeing the trailer, I'm half, I don't know, and half, I'm still <laughs> curious. And the premise is so great. You've got a couple of guys posing uh, or that are going to do an interview, but they're actually been asked to assassinate Kim Jong-un. And so uh, I'm just curious here. Uh, we, there was an article that was released that said North Korea is actually complaining to the UN about the Seth Rogen comedy. And specifically, according to Reuters, North Korea's ambassador 
Jasong Nam. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> I guess. You better get it right. Let's be careful. Sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. Don't don't my name is Chris Farrell. Um, <laughs> sent a letter to the UN Secretary General saying that the movie is, quote, undisguised sponsoring of terrorism as well as an act of war. I'm just curious what you guys think about that. This is actually is North Korea, are they crazy enough to actually consider this an act of war? And this was just such an off-the-wall story. I was like, we have to talk about it. Chris, what do you think about this? If in 15 years you open up your history book and read the reason why North Korea went to war with the United States of America is because of a Seth Rogen and James <laughs> Franco movie, then that's that awesome. will be hilarious. <laughs> that's the greatest reason to go to war ever. So for me, yeah, no, I, I'm same, but with you, Chad, I love this, this, this pairing. This, these guys are always funny. And so I, I'm definitely looking forward to the movie. And this is do- doing nothing if not creating even more buzz about the movie. I'm sure the Man, the, the PR guys are high yeah, five and all over the place. They're like, this is the greatest <laughs> thing ever. Are you kidding me? How because now they can use that footage in their promo? Like they can that guy is a quote on yeah. the poster. <laughs> yes. I'm just saying. An act of I mean, war. <laughs> Kim Jong-un. <laughs> it's just it's just amazing. It is so ridiculous. It um, I thought it was an onion thing or something. No, it had man. to have been, but it's real. It's and so real. anyways it's it's spectacular. I, I'm I'm excited about it. I, I love it. It's great. Josh, I can't wait to hear your perspective on this. What do you think? <laughs> well, before I start in on the movie, since we're talking about James Franco and Seth Rogen, I have to put a plug in and put a link on our show notes to their parody of Kanye West's Bound Two music video. <laughs> this was a couple months old. Yes, but it is the most <laughs> hilarious music video I have ever seen. They shot for shot recreated it, but I'm wasting time. It's hilarious. Watch it. It's so, horrifying. It's horrifying. <laughs> it's In all both. the best ways. It is hilariously <laughs> horrifying. Okay. So the interview, this whole thing, is just absolutely fantastic. You couldn't ask for just better comedy. The movie could be absolutely terrible, though, if their track record has anything to say about it. At least the first 10 minutes will be hilarious. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, I just think it's just great that everything is so deadly serious to North Korea. They're literally the laughing stock of the world, which, <laughs> you know, is sad in its own way because they've gotten that way by keeping their own people in abject poverty. But the leadership is so insecure and so undeservedly arrogant that you just can't help but keep poking them with a stick and <laughs> see how loud they squeak. An act of war? This is this is beyond anything I could wish for in my, <laughs> my wishes yes. for the comedy week. Yes, this was already one of my most anticipated films. And when I, when this happened, I was like, yeah, this is opening night now, folks. <laughs> opening night. Can you imagine Let's the make piracy? It the, the, the people that are going to like pirate this and send it somehow directly to people in North Korea. It's going to oh, be yes. amazing. Oh, yes. All right, Melly, what do you think? Uh, when I first <laughs> saw this come on our Facebook page, I thought someone must have made a mistake and posted like a fake story or whatever because it it does seem quite bogus but I, I do have to say when I first saw the trailer for this movie although it does obviously look hilarious I did feel a little bit of a twinge of concern yes, um, yes. Yes. to anger the powers that be and I'm a, I'm a little surprised they went there and I'm wondering like is there a precedent for this like are are there other films that have existed where the heroes have have plotted to assassinate a, a current 
sitting leader of a country? Like, I don't know. I mean, obviously. I, I, every single episode of 24. What are you talking about? No, like a real person. Olympus has fallen. Yeah, I mean. No, like no, an no. actual a real person. person. Not like a You're right, Melody. President. You're right. You're yeah, right. so like, I mean, in all fairness, it is, I mean, clearly not an act of war. But I, I don't know that there's a precedent for it. So I'm interested to see if the controversy continues. But for Hollywood is that I'm sure it will make the movie that much more popular. So good for them. Yeah. And I don't think that we need to concern ourselves with in all fairness as it relates to Kim Jong-un. <laughs> I mean, I think if anybody has earned the right to be a sitting uh, dictator and actually have a movie about his potential assassination, it's him. My name is Chris Farrell. And, um, <laughs> you know, one of the things I thought was interesting in this article was it said that even if it's banned in North Korea, which it obviously will be, that he's actually a big movie buff. And so he'll probably watch it. But it's one of those things where it's such he does such awful things that he he deserves everything that he can get. And if if the Western kind of sentiment is a thing that really bugs him then we ought to make a sequel immediately so i think it's great i think it's funny and you know we'll we'll see what happens but i'm with you melody and josh this movie could be horrible but it's gonna be even if, if it is it's worth it the fact that this we'll movie exists anyway. is crazy pretty so, crazy anyway no i'm sorry not that this movie exists but it's getting the kind of reaction from north korea that's what's crazy yeah, but, the but actual but, North Korea. Sure, but ma imagine the melody's right. Imagine if let's just say, well, let's just say North Korea. If North Korea made a film where they a comedy where they were coming over to assassinate our president, it would get yeah. all kinds of buzz. There's I've no got doubt. a question. Exactly. Is it funny? If it's funny, we'd go see it. Oh, I'm down. You're right. Yeah, but we're not North Korea. Ah! I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared of this podcast. I don't think we should air this episode. Oh, this will never air. <laughs> it's redacted. Redacted. Red it's gonna, it's gonna be beep. It's gonna be one long beep. There you go. So I had to bring this into our jump cuts segment because Chris and I watched a very interesting film this week. Um, a movie called Snowpiercer, which released first in crap. I don't know where it released first. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sorry. It released actually in crap. <laughs> in crap. That is a yes. new. That's a new thing. I it love is. new technology. I, well, it's a new distribution model. I like it. Korea, another Korean film. No, it's amazing. not. The good Korea. No, 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 no. good Korea. I'm leaving all South, this in, by the way, folks. South I want you to know. Korea. I'm not cutting South. out any of this. <laughs> Anyways, this film has a different release strategy than the usual Hollywood blockbuster because they released it on a small number of screens, and then they're progressively releasing it on more and more screens. But they also released it on video on demand, and so while there are some screens where you can see this film you can also get it from itunes which is what we did watched it on our laptop and so my question is one have you guys seen the movie if so what did you think of it and also what do you think about this release model so josh is it possible that you have seen the film snowpiercer Stop burying the lead. You watched a movie on a laptop. <laughs> well, we're that's we're just, camp. that's awful. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd be watching it on Apple TV. But yes, I'll let it slide just this once okay. since you're up in horse country and all. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I hadn't even heard about this movie before Chris and Melody said, "Hey, we're going to watch it for this episode." So I'm guessing the marketers spent all their ad budget on bandwidth for the online release. So, yeah. <laughs> But more power to them. I hope they succeed with this release model, and I hope more and more movies use this release model or the day and date release model, which isn't quite this, but is even better 
because heaven knows that'll be the only way that I see current movies for the next couple years. Mm-hmm. So Which is that why a no? You should see this movie. <laughs> well, I, since I said I hadn't even heard about this movie oh. before, well, I guess I could have seen it between then and now. But no, let me just make that crystal right. clear so there's no uh-huh. ambiguity for North Korea. I have not seen this movie. <laughs> the streak is alive. Stop saying the word Korea. All right. Well, Chris, I'm sure you have something to say about this. Well, what's interesting is we're going to be reviewing Life Itself, which does the exact same or very similar strategy. Uh, it was re- released in theater and then uh, it was also released on video on demand. I love it. I think it's great because if you're a small, independent film like Snowpiercer is uh, and you want to get the buzz, positive feedback out on your film, the best way to do that is to get it to as many people as you possibly can. And so you release on a small number of uh, theaters. If it does well, maybe the next week you release it on video on demand. It gets more buzz. And then it's available you know, nationwide like they're doing. I feel like it's actually quite smart. It's, but it only works if you've got something that's actually good. <laughs> if, you, if you've got a movie that's not very good or is, is not going to be some sort of a genre that people will grab a hold of and gravitate towards, you're not going to do very well. So I feel like this works for specific films like Snowpiercer. It's a sci-fi film. It's somewhat different than uh, the normal sci-fi films you're going to be seeing in the theaters during the summer, like a Transformers or uh, any other... <laughs> sorry. No, it's all good. I was, almost, fault, I was almost finished. But I'm sorry. I was almost finished. I was almost finished. It's all, right. all good. You said that was a small independent movie, though. Wasn't it bankrolled by the Weinsteins? Weinstein. Well, it, Weinsteins. At the end, it was, but at the, it, it's still an independent film. And they didn't. Well, it's a Korean film. Right. They, they didn't want to, to give up all of their rights to it. But yes, the Weinsteins were the ones that allowed them to get into you know U.S. distribution. They're the distributor, I guess. Ah. Okay. So, Chad, did you see it? No, unfortunately, I didn't. Although uh, I'm going to, and I'd planned on the, planned on seeing it for a while. Um, Jun Ho Bong directed a couple of movies that I really, really like: Mother and The Host, which are great. Mm-hmm. And, and that's I, right. And I really like the concept of this, where it's like uh, uh, everybody in the world is dead except for the people that are on this train that's in continual motion, and uh, like a class system developed. So I think the concept is really neat, and I think in the hands of this director, it could be very cool. What I do like about this is exactly what you guys have said is that even before you had I knew that we were talking about this when I downloaded uh, Life Itself for our review tonight on iTunes I saw Snowpiercer and I just went ahead and downloaded that too and so that's awesome to be able to have that this is typically the kind of movie that I would prefer to see in the theater because it seems to be a bigger kind of thing but uh, just having the ability to do it is awesome so no negatives there I can't wait to watch it and we'll talk about it I guess later well, I will. I will definitely want to hear your thoughts when you have seen it. Um, uh, for me, like I think, as for the release strategy, it's definitely an, an interesting way to compete a- against the big summer blockbusters that are out right now. Um, I will say, I wish that I had seen this film in a theater, especially because we watched it on a laptop. It was like it just lessens the experience, and I think that this film does deserve a theater experience. I thought it was really, really good. And it, it's not like a super indie film. I mean, it's Chris Evans, Tilda Swinton, Ed Harris. Like, yeah. it very well produced, great visuals. Definitely a, a film worth seeing. It's got extremely high critical acclaim. I, don't, I won't say the Rotten Tomato score because yeah. that'll make Chad really mad. But um, it's it. definitely... <laughs> <laughs> it, well, you can look it up for yourself if you desire, okay? But it's it's getting very high praise. For me, I think the praise is a little bit overrated. 
I wish we could talk more about it because I have like a ton that I would love to say about this movie. Um, we'll talk about it later. Yeah. Okay. I'll maybe watch, we I'll should. watch it before the next show, and Josh will still not have, but it'll work. <laughs> Correct. Josh, you should because you jo- would really have a lot to say. This about is it. down Josh's alley right yeah. here. This is high concept sci-fi. Is yeah. it? A, is, is it a it movie? Free? Is it a movie? Is it free? Not up his alley. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to answer that question. Let's keep going. Anyway, my question is it free? That's why I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> okay. You guys should all watch it. Welcome to the main event. Let's move on to a movie now that's one of the most brilliant, weird, and unusual American documentary films I've seen in a long time. Roger Ebert was the definitive mainstream film critic in American cinema. He has been writing for half of the history of feature films. Roger was a mature writer early on. He's written over a dozen books. He wrote a novel. He won a Pulitzer Prize. How on earth did Roger Ebert write Beyond the Valley of the Dolls? Boobs. Beyond the Valley. You know, this is a title. Roger was good addition, but he also could take it. He is a nice guy, but he's not that nice. This morning I confess that I am a sick person. Three years ago, I felt a lump under my chin, and it turned out to be cancer. Roger had an inner core made of steel. Do you want to rest a little bit or work a little bit? Ask Steve. He's the director. He made it possible for a bigger audience, a wider audience, to appreciate cinema as an art form, because he really loved films. For me, the movies are like a machine that generates empathy. It lets you understand hopes, aspirations, dreams, and fears. It helps us to identify with the people who are sharing this journey with us. For half of our main event this week, we watched Life Itself, which is a documentary um, about the life of Roger Ebert, a celebrated movie critic who died last year, I believe it was, uh, directed by Steve James and started before Roger died and kind of recounted his life from I think it started around you know high school or college age really got into it and moved all the way up to his eventual death so let's talk about our impressions of it uh, let's start with Chad well I am an unashamed lifelong reader and fan of Roger Ebert and so uh, on the one hand I was definitely looking forward to to seeing this movie although I was I was a little worried before I saw it that could be a little smaltzy and a little uh, you know rose colored and kind of saccharine but I also have to say that this director Steve James has done uh, two of my favorite documentaries the universally praised hoop dreams from 1994 but they needed another documentary that's actually on netflix and i really want to recommend it to all of our listeners it's called the interrupters from 2011 i don't want to say anything else about it except that you need to see it it's marvelous just fantastic stuff so go see the interrupters so anyway i have to say that this was very surprising pleasantly surprising because i don't believe i've ever seen a documentary that was just for a well-known figure that was as open and personal and kind of free of pretense as this Uh, as a matter of fact it was kind of almost and this is my perspective it was almost anti-sentimental i mean there were certainly moments where it was emotional and people were uh, were sad but it was just kind of like a very photojournalistic very real presentation of the last few days of of uh, of his life and the structure of it I thought was very interesting because it, it came from his memoir and it had bounced around from chapter to chapter and what I really liked about it is that it it really just showed 
Roger is sometimes he was kind of an a hole. You know, he was kind of hard to deal with, and he had uh, he had ha- uh, hangups. He was a real person. As a film, you know, I have to kind of separate what I thought of it as a film and a documentary as what I thought of the man. I mean, the man was funny. He was a brilliant writer in mind, a gift for prose. Um, but he also wrote in a way that was accessible to you know the everyday reader. Uh, as far as the film was, it was maybe a, it felt maybe a little long, but at the same time, it's hard to judge it when it's kind of essentially a life tribute to this man who changed the face of film criticism. So overall, I was definitely positive on it. I think it was put together very well, and I think at the end of the day, it's probably a, a fitting tribute to Roger Ebert, who was peerless in his field. So yeah, I, I liked it very much. All right, Melody, what do you think? I completely agree, Chad. I thought uh, it was a really fantastic documentary. Absolutely worth a watch um, for anyone who likes films at all, or certainly anyone who is a fan of Ebert. I agree. It didn't. It didn't feel like it was putting really any spin on anything, either positively or negatively. It kind of just presented him who he was, his his good parts, his bad parts, his horrifying parts. Like there was a few times where I literally had to like look away from the screen with that. Yeah suction stuff or whatever stuff like stuff in the hospital was yeah was, i mean was, i knew he had it pretty rough but I, it's definitely pretty real like what he went through at the end there it's kind of pretty crazy that he allowed that that filming to take place um knowing that it was wanted going, it yeah wanted it yeah yeah knowing that it was gonna you know be made into this um but but kind of cool and i think that i think the film definitely honored him in a way that he would have loved because it's not overly overly honoring <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, absolutely. um i think so him as a person is amazing and i'm super glad that the film just documents his life and his death and his impact on our culture and i i love i loved the behind the scenes looks of um you know him and siskel together that was all really hilarious and really yeah. funny like several laugh out loud moments and clever there when you're yeah. insulting each other with that level of wit it's a <laughs> right? it's wonderful <laughs> For sure. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about the like the super nonlinear format of the narrative. Sometimes I felt it was like, a little bit hard to follow, but I, th- I think the filmmaking was great. And I think what it did was like get out of the way of telling what it was going to tell. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, this amazing documentary. It right. was this is a good documentary of this amazing story an amazing person and so in that way like i think that's a good thing i think it's good that the filmmaking doesn't overshadow the content if that makes sense yeah all right chris how about you i would have to say that i i'm sure any critic would have a difficult time criticizing this movie about one of the best critics ever so i know why it's getting such good high praise and that, the plus of the of that is that this is actually quite a very good movie but the the point you brought up chad and so did melody is that the film is a little disjointed for me like it took for the first like 20 minutes i was like oh man is this the way it's going to be the entire time because i wasn't sure it took a while for it to to get traction and kind of suck me in um especially when they first started with like the old like his old like upbringing and i was like oh my goodness we're gonna go all the way back to his childhood and it was just like in the middle of the movie yeah i was like "What what are we doing what are we doing but Besides that, I think this movie is so inspiring. What he did, how he did it, yeah, sure, he was definitely not 
what do they say? What do you say? He's a nice guy, but he's not that nice. Yeah. Right. I mean, like the the truth of the matter is, is that he did what he felt like he was he needed to set out to do, and uh, and and accomplish things that were amazing and incredible. And so it was heartfelt, really enjoyable. Uh, it was quite funny in several different moments, especially those behind the scenes stuff between him and Siskel. It was just, you know, and, and to see their their relationship over time change from I, I didn't realize just because, you know, I was just growing up. I just always saw the two thumbs up. I didn't realize that they literally worked across the street and were bitter, bitter rivals. I thought it was just kind of a, a showy kind of a thing. But to hear people talk about how they were arch nemesis, you know what I mean? They were, they were at each other's heels. That was amazing to me. I, I really enjoyed seeing all that and, and kind of understanding a little bit better about where uh, he came from. So if you're in, interested in all in writing, journalism, filmmaking, uh, or just kind of Hollywood and and like the, the, the life of of someone, a rise of someone from going from a dream that they had to actually accomplishing it, this is a movie for you. I mean, it really is quite quite good. It's spectacular and, and, and a lot of fun. All right. Well, I guess that just... Huh? Sorry. I even though when I say it's, it's a lot of fun, even though you know obviously he passes away at the end, but still, anyway, it's it's yeah. Great. That that provides me a nice segue into what I was going to say, which is that when we decided to watch this movie, you jerks didn't tell me he was going to die at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Just okay. made me sad all over again. Yeah. yeah. But oh, overall, it was it was well done. You guys said most of it better than I was going to about nonlinear fashion of the movie, and I both was confused at times and liked at times the fact that they switch back and forth in reading his memoir and reading his correspondences to, um, I guess that was Steve James's voice doing the narration. I'm not sure who was actually doing the narration, but part of it was his memoir being narrated. And part of it was him using a speech synthesizer because of, you know, his uh, throat cancer and he couldn't talk towards, I'm not sure how long it was, towards the end of his life but Mm -hmm. he lost his voice for i think a couple years after he had that operation and so it was interesting to hear what has become his voice juxtaposed with someone else reading his memoir and i didn't know most of his story or the behind the scenes stuff with siskel and i don't really have a history of watching siskel and ebert but i watched the movie with my wife who grew up watching siskel and ebert so that was enjoyable for her I think the most interesting part of it for me was that I didn't know that he just kind of fell into being a movie critic. He was in college. He was pretty similar to what I was working on the paper, writing a regular column, except, you know, he was better at it than I was. I assumed that he had some kind of training in cinema and it turns out he just seemed to kind of be winging it and it worked out pretty well for him. It's the story of your life, Josh. (laughs) Yeah, except I didn't stick with journalism because I didn't like it. Uh, and you don't like movies, so it's still the same thing. Perfect. It's <laughs> a perfect fit. So I, I guess that's why his reviews, especially the ones they were quoting, the thing I noticed most about his reviews that they read you know, little portions of during the movie was that they tend to start with these broad general sentiments that could apply to anything and seem... Th- those were the schmaltziest parts of the movie, I thought, when they were reading his actual reviews. And I would have liked to see how he got from that to watching part of one of his five-hour shot-by-shot analyses at that conference that 
he went yeah. to for so long, the Conference on World Affairs. Yeah. I want to see one of those yeah. and what he has to say. Yeah, I didn't realize he did that either, and that is that is something I need to seek out and find because I'd love to see a shot-by-shot analysis from him. Like I, I didn't even know that existed. That, yeah. That'd be awesome. Super yeah, cool. he just went for days, and that is pretty amazing. So I guess I should probably wrap up and say that I liked the movie and that you should probably see it. I didn't know it was a theatrical release either. I thought it was like going straight to on demand. And so I was like, why does this cost as much as a movie ticket? But it's because it was day and date with the theaters. So that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's only, it's a seven bucks. So, you know, that's cheaper okay. than it that's would be. cheaper than it is in, here in Tennessee. That's Eight on Verizon markup. <laughs> <laughs> Call them out, Josh. Call them out. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that we necessarily need to do spoilers on this, you know. But but so. there were a couple of things that I wanted to, to comment on. I thought it was very, you know, it sounds kind of macabre to say this, but I, he was really courageous at the end of his life, and I loved how he faced his death. You know, there were just lots of things in here where he just said, "I'm not afraid of death." When he found out the news that his uh, that you know his hip was broken because of the tumors. And that they gave him, I think they said six to 16 months. And Chaz, his wife, said she didn't want to tell Steve James about that. And then it showed where he had emailed Steve and said, I don't want to be a part of a documentary that wouldn't show this part. That kind of stuff was just really very powerful and just kind of gives you a glimpse into the kind of person that he was uh, and how seriously he took film. It was interesting to hear Josh, you know, talk about how he kind of fell into film criticism. But then at the end, he said, you know, over my career, I've I've watched 10,000 movies and reviewed 6,000 of them uh, and became such a passionate champion for film and its importance in culture. He's just a brilliant, brilliant man. and, And I think it's one of those things where the man himself raises above the level uh, rises above the level of maybe the actual filmmaking yeah and i think i yeah, and i think he also rises above what other people would cre- uh, would would even consider to be film criticism uh, he he did things that were above that and brought it into pop culture because before him that like they were saying it was just another thing that anybody could do that you know if if this writer wasn't working on something else they'd tell him to go see a movie and then write it under what did it say matinee matinee or whatever so i mean it it wasn't really a thing until it became a thing and he was the face of it he was the face you know what i mean so there you go anyway i i i i think it was quite a good movie and uh surprising especially if you're familiar but you're not uh, yeah. really intimately familiar with the detail. So I think you'll really enjoy it. You should see it. Agreed. Agreed. Babes! Do not want war! You know the scary thing about them? They don't need power, lights, heat, nothing. That's the advantage. That's what makes them stronger. We both have families. You want to protect yours, I want to protect mine. It's our only chance for peace. Are you aware? No! They are going to turn on you. They're animals! Caesar, you're all. Who was that? A good man like you. Caesar, love humans. 
more than apes. If you threaten his family, he will retaliate. Don't shoot! What are you doing? I'm saving the human race. This is my home. The IMDb description of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes says, In the wake of a disaster that changed the world, the growing and genetically evolving apes find themselves at a critical point with the human race. This is directed by Matt Reeves, who made his splash with the direction of Cloverfield, and followed that up with the remake of Let the Right One In, Let Me In. He's known for his tone and his action, and so he seemed like the perfect fit for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I'm on record as being a big fan of the first movie, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I own it on Blu-ray, watched it a few times, uh, really liked it. It was a, a pleasant surprise, and so I went into this with some high expectations. So let me talk to you guys. What is your experience with the first Planet of the Apes, and what did you think about this follow-up? And we'll start with Josh. Josh, what did you think? about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Well, hold on, hold on. You started off by asking what was our experience with the first movie. Yeah. And oh, I'm sorry. I, I just assumed you hadn't to, seen it. No, no, to, no, hold on, hold back, on. Back to Charlton Heston, right, Josh? Yeah, Charlton Heston. <laughs> Wait, are we talking about Charlton Heston? Because <laughs> I, I haven't seen that one. <laughs> oh, really? Shock. But, however, the remake I have seen. The Tim Burton? Let the light shine down from above. Yes, I, I saw that. And I remember approximately three seconds of it because it was awful. <laughs> but I did see it. So feather in my cap. That's good. Um, so given my experience with that one, you can imagine how excited I was to see this one. And in fact, I was so excited that I forgot to go to the theater. Well, now, wait a minute, Josh. You realize this is not a sequel to that film. It, it's a prequel. It's the no, same it's thing. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's, it's nothing. To the... It has talking monkeys, and they ride horses, and they kill the humans. How is this not related to the other movie? It's not at all. And, and wow. it, there, 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 was, there was a Planet of the Apes film Tim Burton tried to reboot several years ago, I think in 2001. That failed. And then they did a new movie with James Franco called Rise of the Planet of the Apes. And that's the movie that, that Chad was alluding to. Not He doesn't have the Tim Burton film. On Blu-ray, and I he didn't love that one. <laughs> I do not. It's awesome. You know, we're just going to move on. <laughs> yes, Josh no. has no idea what's going on, ladies and gentlemen. So we're going to move on and let somebody with a little bit more, uh, I don't know. How, how do I say Somebody this a little bit more qualified because qualified. they've actually seen, <laughs> seen the movie. And, and But I think we should actually define what this is because Josh brings up a wonderful point in that there have been several iterations of the Planet of the Apes franchise and I feel like uh, it may be confusing for some. For I some, can't be the only folks. one who confuses CGI apes. <laughs> it's exceptionally confusing. Well, That's this, why they need to number them: Dawn, Rise. I don't know which. I don't even know which one this one is called. It's just the next apes movie to me. All right. All right. Wow. Well, here we are. We're eight <laughs> minutes into this review, and I don't know what's happened. So, except that we have established that Josh still doesn't like movies and hasn't seen anything. Yeah. And uh, but can still talk for a long time about not having seen them. So 
<laughs> and confuse our audience <laughs> while he's great. at it. King and still champion. It's it. It's great to have Josh back. So, Josh, we're going to let you go. Josh has a uh, a new addition at his home that he needs to take care of, but he will be back next week. We're going to make him see movies whether he likes it or not. So, Josh, welcome oh. back. It's great to have you. We'll see you. Yay. We'll see you again. Thank you very soon. much. It's been real. You're listening to the Screeners Podcast. Josh is gone, and the one thing that we can commit to you uh, audience at home is that we actually have seen Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. So yes. back to my original question. Let me let me ask you, what did you guys think of the ri- the movie Rise of the Planet of the Apes from 2011? Uh, we should not mention that uh, Andy Serkis returns uh, to play the main role here as Caesar. So let's start with you, Chris. Uh, what did you think? I absolutely loved uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I thought it was a fresh look for that franchise. Because, you know, when you think of Planet of the Apes, just like Josh was saying previously, you just think, oh, apes on horses with machine guns. Stupid. But that movie elevated the idea of Planet of the Apes and opened the franchise to a completely new way of thinking. I I, I really enjoyed that movie a lot. As far as the CG goes... You know, the first, the rise of the Planet of the Apes with James Franco, there was really only one ape that it had to emote and had to really, uh, you, you had to buy on screen, and that was Caesar. In this movie, in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, I mean, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of, yeah. ca- of characters and, 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 and apes that have to emote and, and actually work. And I feel like that was the leap forward, is that it was not just one, it was dozens. It was, uh, you had to buy this as an entire species of mm-hmm. ape. And I think they pulled it off fantastically. I loved both of these movies. And this one was, far, it's one of those rare instances where this elevates it 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 takes what was done in the first one and turns it into something completely new but also uh just does a a fantastic job with it so i loved i I love the first one and i thought this one was was pretty spectacular too Uh, there's other things i want to talk about it but i i guess i'll let melody chat about her relationship with the franchise and then i'll give my thoughts i feel similarly i did enjoy um the james franco film i thought it was was really well done and a huge step up from the tim burton film and (laughs) and so i expected to like this one as well and i do i do think as far as the visuals there was definitely definitely some awesome steps forward they they definitely like completely went for it in this movie it takes itself completely seriously it's not like you're watching like transformers or something that you know is just going to be completely bogus and there's characters that aren't human and you buy them as characters that aren't human that are you know fake robots whatever but in this like chris was saying you're being asked to buy into these apes as if they're fully cognizant apes not pretend robots like or people in suits yeah like they are characters just as much as any human is and it, that's what the whole like movie hinges on. If you are able to relate with the apes and I, identify them, identify with them as characters that are as equally as important as and relatable as humans, then this movie completely works and it's awesome. Yeah, like the first twenty minutes of the of the movie is ju- is pretty much just the apes. There's a you know a couple humans, and okay, I remember like a specific point in the film where I'm I'm watching some of the apes interacting and I'm thinking. If I like if I really buy these apes, if I really buy into this, then this movie is awesome. And if I don't buy into this, then it's super cheese ball. Like super super like Josh was saying, there's apes with machine guns riding horses. This is ridiculous. 
or it's not. And it, it completely depends on if you buy it. And I, I literally had the thought process, am I buying this in the middle of the movie? And I decided that I did. I decided that I did buy into them. And so I did like this movie because I did. But the thing is that I had to ask. Like I had to have that. I had to have that thought process in the movie. Like, all right, am I really going with this or is this is this cheesy? Wow. And I think that I, I think that they didn't completely cross the line where I didn't have to have that thought process during the film. So it was it was really good, but not great in my so opinion. Good, but not great. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I I'll respond to, uh, to that theme and give my general thoughts as well. I actually I did not have that issue at all, and I am typically very sensitive to. Uh, CGI and visual effects that pull me out of the story and pull me out of the experience. And I realized after watching this movie that I never had that conversation that you had. Melody. Right. As a matter of fact, I, in my uh, when I left, I, I had to think back on the fact that the apes look to me looked so awesome and so photo real that I didn't think about anything except their performances. And yep. I think that's a huge leap forward from the first film, which I love the first film with you, Chris. I love the first one. Like I said, I own it. I've watched it multiple times. But for but there were times in that movie where it was clear that it wasn't quite there. With this one, I never even had that thought. Now, they used some tricks. They put them in a dark forest, and it was rainy a lot of times, and it was at night or whatever. But... I never had that conversation with myself. I totally mm -hmm. bought in, totally connected uh, to the to the arc and the the complex character dynamics and the relational dynamics of the apes and their system and their architecture. I just I totally bought in. I accepted them as characters. Overall, though, I actually agree with you, Melody. I think this movie was good, actually good plus, but not great. And and for me, came down one hundred percent to like the last thirty five minutes of the movie. I liked the action, and when we get into spoilers, we'll go specifically into what happened. But the tension that was built in the first two-thirds of this movie, the setup, was wonderful. Uh, and, and like we mentioned at the beginning, Matt Reeves, who did Cloverfield and Let Me In, both of those movies have a very palpable sense of kind of tension, and you're just waiting for something to happen. And in this movie, where you're dealing with the constant threat of spontaneous violence breaking out, there's always that undergirding tension that's just beneath the surface. And the conflict between, will they help the humans? Will they not help the humans? Are they going to fight? Will they find peace? All of that stuff was great and executed just so well that when it finally got to what happened in the last 30 minutes and the way that played out, it kind of went more into traditional action movie tropes. And yeah. so it just let me down from the standpoint they had taken me up to this certain area and then it kind of went the safe way out. Uh, had they not done that and it just continued to focus on the tension and the relations and then even, even if some conflict needed to happen, if it would have been handled in a little bit more creative way, I would have absolutely embraced this film wholeheartedly. But because of that, I, I wasn't able to. Okay, so can I just talk about my general thoughts and feelings? That I didn't? Sure, yeah. The overall theme of like trust in this movie for me really was incredible. And, and I love the fact that they, the, the monkeys, the apes, I'm sorry, were so able to emote and to have body language where – they didn't have to speak, but you knew what they were feeling, and and it just it was it was incredible. You were talking earlier, Chad, about um, uh, feeling tension, and there was one scene in this movie that 
mm-hmm. was completely that in a scene. And there was, I won't spoil it because it's definitely into spoilers, but it was a scene involving uh, an ape coming to to two human guards. Yep. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and just kind of doing some playful stuff. But you knew it was it was almost like watching a gangster movie or or some other kind of like you knew, like you said, there's a threat of like extreme violence. And us as the movie going audience are on this edge of our seats because we know what's going to happen or what might happen. Mm-hmm. And the guy, you know, there, 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 there's so much tension and so much that I didn't think about the fact that this was a CG right. ape. I didn't think about the fact that this was all quote unquote fake and so that's there are these those parts in the movie that were so um that sucked me in so much that got me so excited about about what the movie could be and i felt like the the actual finale of the film did a pretty great job especially you said that with the safe way but you know it didn't end the way most hollywood films do with a nice kind of like Okay, everything's better now. It, it definitely ended on a beat of yeah. That's wow, true. things really probably won't be able to change. You know what I mean? And I I liked I liked that. I, I thought that they yeah. did a good job. There. And I agree with you that the way that it the the actual ending ending is setting up the third film, uh, and sure. so that so they couldn't they couldn't do that. I, and when we get into spoilers, I'll talk specifically about uh, you know what bothered me. Part of what really bothered me too is that. I felt like the the central character who plays, uh, I believe his name is Malcolm in the movie. His name is uh, Jason Clark. I, I just, I didn't think he had enough chemistry with the CGI ape. <laughs> you know, this is actually crazy for me to say. <laughs> but I didn't buy the relationship between Jason Clark and Caesar. Wow. Uh, I felt like... I. Now there are moments where, at the end, when they have certain things, oh god, I can't talk about that. There are moments where it works, but I didn't think he was interesting enough. I didn't think the human arc was as interesting as the ape arc was. And when they tried to to make that specific thing, whereas in the first film, James Franco, like I got. Mm-hmm. So let me say this. One thing this movie does very well is that it has like the, you talked about trust. It has the father-son dynamic on both sides, the apes and the humans that are are really well. I had maybe four or five times where I teared up in this movie. I don't know if it's because I'm a new, kind of a new dad or what, but there were like lots of emotional beats that were, that really paid off for me. One of which is when they look at the old footage of James Franco and mm-hmm. this isn't a spoiler, but you know, they look at the footage because it's in the trailer. They look at the footage of James Franco and Caesar when he was little. And it just reminded me of how much I loved that relationship and how much how emotionally invested I was in that. Contrasted to this relationship where I, I appreciated what was happening, but I wasn't emotionally invested in it. So that, that was another thing that kind of stopped me from fully embracing everything. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And that's what I remember from from the James Franco film is that relationship. But part of me thinks like if they had redone that again, it would just be a repackaging of that. Story, sure. You know, sure. and this is a this is a different story than that. So I don't know. I, I think it didn't have that. You're right. But I don't know that that was completely the the largest fault of the film anyway. I mean, come on. <laughs> the moment that you see a huge herd or whatever you call a, a large group of apes, come to the front door, the front gate of the human oh, uh, awesome. colony, you say to yourself, this is ridiculous, but it's awesome. Like It, it yeah. feels like a futuristic, dystopian, 
world where you know the two colonies the two sides but one just so happens to be speaking apes and i'm buying this right now and i i just i'm amazed that technology can get there i'm amazed that we can sit down and watch the movie and actually see it competently and Mm -hmm. it has something to say i don't know for me i just i think that in itself in and of itself is an accomplishment, and I, I really appreciated what they were doing. I really did. And I agree on all points that this movie has something to say. It's not preachy. It's It has its underlying messages that it's trying to, the allegory that it's trying to present, but it's still entertaining. And I, there were three or four times in this movie where the, the apes moved aggressively as a group, like through the trees and the different things. Mm-hmm. And every single time that happened, it was just extremely impressive. Indeed, yep, indeed, sure. very, very impressive. So Let, let's move into spoilers so we can talk a little more specifically. Let's about do so. Let's stuff. let's give our final recommendations here. Uh, should you see it? Should you see it in the theater, uh, Chris? What do you think? I think you should see it and see it in the theater, especially if you're a fan of the James Franco, the uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Okay, Melody. Yeah, I agree. It's it's definitely a great summer movie. See it in the theater. Yeah, I. Think- it is. It is better in every way, shape, and form than Transformers <laughs> Age of Extinction. As is well, every movie ever made. that's not saying a whole lot. So, yeah, I, I would say definitely see this movie and see it in the, in the theater. And, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but, you know, in this movie we say it sounds ridiculous that we have apes with swords riding horses, but the way that it's presented makes it awesome, whereas it also mm-hmm. sounds ridiculous to say we have transforming robots that ride robotic dinosaurs, except that movie was ridiculously stupid. So this is the way that you do it right. This is what I think all Hollywood tentpole releases should aspire to be. They don't, all movies don't have to, this movie has tons of action and tons of crazy visuals and things that you wouldn't normally see, but it has a lot on its mind. So good, go on, see this. good on you. Go, go see this and go see Edge of Tomorrow. You will not be sorry. All right, and with that, let's move into spoilers. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Well, you look nervous. Is it the scars? You want to know how I got them? There's so many places it would never occur to hawk to hide. However, the reason the Führers brought me off my house in Austria and placed me in French cow country today is because it does occur to me. Because I'm aware what tremendous feats human beings are capable of once they abandon dignity. And in the dream, I knew that he was going on ahead. And he's fixing to make a fire somewhere out there in all that dark and all that cold. And I knew that whenever I got there, he'd be there. And then I woke up. So let me start with one spoiler. Uh, let me ask you guys, did you stay for the end credits? No. no. Okay. So there's not a stinger. There's not a video stinger. But one of the things when that that happens toward the the end is the the fight between Koba and Caesar. And what I didn't like about that is it turned into like this big diehard s kind of battle where their people are fall. You know, they're falling and they're just he. You think he's dead and then he's not and then he bounces back and all this stuff. And it just there were a lot of tropes that were there that I didn't think. It needed to be there. When you contrast that to the fight that Caesar and Koba had earlier in the dam, which was 
I thought much more effective and it was brutal and it was like apes fight and it was just really striking. This one Mm kind of turned into action hero fight. And so I didn't really like that. But ultimately what happens is Koba falls and he lands on like this overpass thing and then that falls. Well, at the very, very end of the credits, you hear the sound of what we can assume is Koba kind of making noise and scraping away debris and rubble as if he's still alive. So mm-hmm. I, I don't. It wasn't worth waiting to the end for. But there's this. There's an app that I use, and I'll let you guys know about it. It's called AfterCredits.com or URL AfterCredits.com, and it will show you if there's a stinger either during or after the credits without telling you what it is. So, so it's really I use cool. I use an app called Anything After, and it says there was nothing after. So that's why I left. Yeah, no, there is. There's definitely, and like I said, it wasn't super worth it because it's just about a 10 second audio cue, but it's it's definitely inferring that Koba is still alive and will be back in the third one. So I thought that was I thought that was interesting because he was a very effective villain. Well, um, I kind of already inferred that he probably didn't die because they didn't actually show him die because he landed but, on that thing. Yeah, yeah. But can can we talk about that for a minute? What what did you guys think about the fact that he did drop him? Do you have an opinion on that? Well, I think that he understood that to leave him alive would be a a virus that would. Uh, continue the apes to be, you know, he ne- he needed to take order and be the leader. So he was passing judgment and saying, sorry, you're not an ape. Yeah, and you could see that line coming a mile away, you know, you're no ape. I, I liked it. I mean, at that point, he's 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 tried to kill him and the more humane thing, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. uh, and the evolved thing would have been for him to even still not kill him. But I like the fact that they went there because yeah. I think that's I think that's what most would do. Right. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'm sure that that choice will have ramifications in the next film. I have no doubt that that's that's going to be something that's going to be a, a big deal. I'm surprised though that they that they are inferring that he may not be dead because I feel like it'd be more powerful if Koba was dead than if he wasn't. But we'll see. Yeah, I agree. What did you guys think about? How the apes were portrayed with uh, Caesar and the his I guess his wife or his mate and the son the dynamic because for me I thought it was just very interesting how everything was I didn't even I didn't even think about the fact that I was watching apes it was just very clear what the roles were and the emotions that you know that they were felt did you guys think that worked that whole uh, that whole group. Uh, yeah, I mean, that—that that is the reason why this movie works so well is because you can identify and understand. Like that first hunt that they go on establishes everything. It's such a good storytelling thing. You know what I mean? Like you understand that the apes are smart, that they have whittled down the trees so they can move quickly. They have, uh, you know, they work together in packs. They're brutal. They're efficient. You know all these things. It just, it, I, I thought it was fantastic how they laid out the different layers of family, layers of chain of command. You know, with Caesar at the top, and then you've got lieutenants, and then the actual soldiers, and then you've got like the philosophers and teachers. I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah. Did you guys think? I've seen some criticism online that this film is anti-human. And uh, I didn't personally get that. I thought that they did a a nice job of showing that regardless of if you are ape or human, and obviously there's allegory there, that there's good and bad in us, in us all. Did you guys get that vibe though, that there was, that it was kind of anti-human? 
That's like saying like Star Trek or Star Wars is anti-human. It's, it's all allegory that we, of course, apes don't actually do this. They're actually they're trying to say something about who we are as humans. So that's stupid. I, I think that's just a I don't know. That seems like click a clickbait to me rather than like actual general criticism. I can't imagine somebody actually saying I don't think this is a, a human film. It certainly is. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that's a legitimate uh concern anything else that we want to talk about any specific moments that stuck out to you guys or well i i alluded to it but i just wanted to i mean i think we've all agreed but when koba like came and killed those two guards that was spectacular it was just he he was so like laid back and kidding with him and it took the gun real quick and then like there was a level of tension and then boom so quickly just he took the guy out and then the other guy it was just oh that was the best scene in the oh. movie, in my opinion. Yeah, and the, and the setup to that scene was also great. The first yes, time when they had the, the gun, time. when the humans had the yep. guns on him, and he started yep. dancing around, and then he walks out and he has that look on his face, like it was I'll just a very human emotion. Like I can't believe what I just had to do, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I had yeah, I had to humiliate myself to get these humans. So next time I'm coming, that's why that second scene works so well, is because the first one, you know, they are expecting he's just some dumb ape. Now he's going to show who they really are, and I, man. That was yeah. good. That was yeah. good. Yeah, it was good. My problems, my problems with the the battle scene or whatever, is just because I felt like they drew it out and made it into this big, big thing where it's always you know the back and forth, and then this group gets cornered, and then they break out at the last minute, and then this guy comes in to rescue them and saves them at the end. It just is a lot of things that. I didn't think were as necessary. If if you really had the fight of these apes at the level of critical thinking that they had versus the humans with their weapons, I thought that we had the potential there to see something maybe that we haven't ever seen before. In a way, we haven't ever seen it. Um, and so I was just a little disappointed with that. But overall, Chris, I totally agree. These Both of these films, as the a reboot and then a sequel to a reboot, are just top-notch, high-quality kind of stuff. And so I'm excited to see where this third one will go, maybe tying us into, you know, the lore and catching us up from the old uh, Mm -hmm. Planet of the Apes films as well. Yeah, that's good. It's good stuff. The Cutting Room Floor. All right, this past week, the Emmy nominations were announced, and so we thought we would chat a little bit about the nominations as well as give the prediction for the top categories. Uh, So we'll chat about the top categories a little bit, and then we will come back and revisit the whole thing after the award ceremony has occurred. So let's go and start off Best Actress in a Drama Series. And uh, those nominations were Lizzie Kaplan for Masters of Sex, Claire Danes in Homeland, Michelle Dockery in Downton Abbey, Juliana Margulies in The Good Wife, Kerry Washington in Scandal, and Robin Wright in House of Cards. Uh, Let's go uh, down the list like we normally would here. Chad, uh, what would be your pick, and maybe who do you think would win? Yeah, this one's a tough one. I think probably... I think Juliana is it Margulies? I think she Margulies. I, I think she typically does well. I think if I had to guess, maybe she. I haven't seen the only one of these I haven't seen is Masters of Sex. Um, if I had to pick who I think should win, it would be Robin Wright. I thought she was really, really good in the second season of House of Cards. Just a wonderful actress. So that's who I would pick. If Kerry Washington wins, I will literally 
quit this podcast. No, don't say literally. <laughs> no, I mean let, it. I got to put the word literally there. I've got a Weird Al video for people. Who yes, say yes, thank no, you. I, say, I only use literally when I mean it, folks. If Kerry Washington wins, I am out. Peace out. <laughs> Sweet, I'm out too. Go Kerry Washington. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wow, Melody, what would be your pick uh, for best uh, actress in a drama series? Okay, well, to be perfectly honest with you people, as you may know if you've listened to this podcast, I've not seen all of these uh, shows up to date. Okay, I've seen them, most of them, just not the most recent seasons, but based on past performance, (laughs) which is the only the only way that I can have an opinion. I'm going to go with Claire Danes for both. You think she should win and that's who you think that will win? I'm going with it. All right, Josh, how about you, man? Where are you at? All right, so for once, I'm ashamed to admit I haven't seen something. I haven't seen the second season of House of Cards yet, so, so I can't talk about But Robin Wright was great in the first season. I have no reason to believe she would be less than great in the second season. Even a better. Much, a much smaller role in the first season. The second season, she mm-hmm. is yeah. central. Yep. A small role in the first season? I smaller. Well, I guess compared to some. Smaller, okay. smaller, and less, less central to the actual main plot of things. So the only series on this list that I actually have seen is the um, Scandal. Abbey. Oh, Abbey. <laughs> uh, and Michelle Dockery was very good in it. So I kind of have to pick her because she's the only one I have any knowledge of. Who will win is probably for me a toss up between Claire Danes and Robin Wright. Let's go ahead and go with Claire Danes. Let's make it two for Claire. Ooh. Yeah. Overrated. Yeah. I said it. Boom. Yeah. You already I'm, I'm said okay it. With that. Just chill. <laughs> All right. So for me, I think um, I'm in the same camp that. Well, actually, I'm not in the same camp with uh, with Chad Foley, but I think Robin Wright is deserving, and I think maybe even will win based on the amount of nominations that House of Cards got throughout the entire Emmy nomination. So I am. I I, I'm, right. I'm actually hopeful for Robin Wright. So I'm gonna put both of my chips on that bet and say Robin Wright will win uh, for House of Cards. She was fantastic. She was really good. Okay, uh, so let's move on to Best Actor. I'm sorry, no, let's do Actress in a Comedy Series. Let me scroll up for just a second and find that. And that is uh, Lena? Lena? Lena. 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 Lena Dunham in Girls. Eddie Falco in Nurse Jackie. Julia Louis-Dreyfus in Veep, uh, Melissa McCarthy in Mike and Molly, Amy Poehler in Parks and Rec, and Taylor Schilling. Schilling? Is that it? Yes. Taylor Schilling's and Orange is the New Black. All right, let's go through the same order here. Chad. This one's kind of tough. Um, I really enjoyed the second season of Orange is the New Black, uh, and Taylor Schilling was was excellent, but her role was slightly diminished compared to the first year. I love Parks and Rec. Um, Veep is good. Nurse Jackie, haven't seen. Mike and Molly, uh, I'm going to have to say that as overrated as I think Girls is, I do think Lena Dunham is a standout in that series. So I'm going to say she will win and should win. All right. Melody. Okay. Yeah, this one's tough for me, too, because I've only seen bits of a few of these shows. I've seen all of Parks and Rec, obviously. So I'm going to go for Amy Poehler for my pick because I love her and she's awesome. Um, But my prediction 
is between Lena Dunham and Taylor Schilling. I'll go with Taylor Schilling because there's a ton of buzz about that show right now. Great show. All right, Josh. A uh, quick question: Did Edie Falco win last year? I don't think so. I, in I fact, think Julia Louis Dreyfus won because they came up and did mm. the whole deal where her assistant was behind her. Oh, right, 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 that. right, right. Okay, so Which Edie Falco is going to win this year. That's true. I remember that now. Edie Falco will win this year, and Amy Poehler should win, um, being the only one of these series that I. No, I've seen a few episodes of Veep, and I started Orange Is the New Black, but we couldn't get past like three episodes. It just yeah. wasn't. It yeah, didn't me pull neither. me in. Mm-hmm. Me neither. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna actually say that uh, Amy Poehler should win for Parks and Rec. I love that show. It is fantastic. But I think that Julia Louis Dreyfus will win yet again for Veep because I've heard a lot of good things about the second season. I've watched a couple of, or third season. Third I'm sorry. season. Um, and um, uh, you're probably yeah. right, Chris. You're probably right. It's just it's it's HBO does no wrong right now, and I feel like um, this is the more marketable uh hbo show that is in the series i feel like it's gonna uh, this uh this category and i feel like they're gonna give it to her again she, i don't she, know nurse jackie's got some buzz yeah no you're right you're right who knows who knows but I, I feel like that's that's where i would put my my money if i was if i was a betting man okay uh, we should do that screeners podcast pool that's Any right pool. let's, let's do, do it. it let's do it all right, so let's uh, move back and do actor. Uh, we'll do best actor in a drama series. No, this is a hard one. Yeah, mm, here so we go, hard. guys. Okay, Brian Cranston for Breaking Bad, Jeff Daniels for The Newsroom, John Hamm for Mad Men. Ugh. Uh, what Shut, you up. Shut your face. <laughs> what you just you embarrass hurts? yourself when you do that. The whole world laughs at you, Chris. <laughs> now this Thank is you this... for channeling John Hamm from Mad Men. <laughs> so here, here are the two that are, are a bit shocking for me, but uh, I think are completely deserving. Woody Harrelson, True Detective, and Matthew McConaughey, True Detective, yeah. and then Kevin Spacey, yeah. House of Cards. Holy cow. Why is that shocking? All Titans. Yeah, those are all Titans. No, I'm just saying most of the time you get one in a drama series, but that was so good. Those two were so awesome. They definitely deserve it. I'm not saying that. That's not what I meant. I meant it's amazing that you get two such good actors that are deserving. I wish they both could win. (laughs) So, so Josh, I mean, uh, Chad, what do you think? Yeah, this hurts. It just hurts to even guess. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) what I'm going to have to. So if you just go down the list just very quickly, I mean, Brian Cranston, it's almost like a lifetime achievement for Breaking Bad because it's, it's, and he's so spectacular. If I had to guess who will win, I'm going to say Matthew McConaughey because marvelous performance. He has a lot of juice coming off of his first Oscar. That's who I'm going to say I think will win. Who I think should win is literally <laughs> four of these people should win. <laughs> Woody Harrelson, Matthew McConaughey, Kevin Spacey. And Brian Cranston. John Hamm is also excellent. So I'm going to say, if I had to pick, I would go probably Matthew McConaughey, although I kind of have a soft spot for Brian Cranston because Breaking Bad's over and it was a great season. So, but probably Matthew McConaughey. But he did win last year, correct? Yeah. So what? So what? That's Walter White. I agree with you. I'm just saying. It's not like he hasn't. Yeah, I think Matthew McConaughey, that was, although if I had to do one little pause on that, his performance was stellar, but the writing is also really the star of that show to me, even mm-hmm. though the performances are Absolutely. great. So, you know, mm-hmm. there's maybe that maybe lowers them a little bit. Melody? 
It's also seriously impossible for me. You said Brian Cranston did win it last year. Yes. Yeah. I mean, oh, I, oh, I almost feel like I would give it to Woody Harrelson over Matthew McConaughey a little bit. So I'm going to go with my prediction as Matthew, but my pick as Woody. All right. Josh. All right. So this, like we've all said, this category is absolutely impossible. So you have to play, or I have to play, context and politics. So Brian Cranston won last year. Mm-hmm. Matthew McConaughey won the Oscar. Kevin Spacey did the intro and was very involved in the Emmys last year. John Hamm is going to win for the final season of Mad Men. Yeah. So I'm going to go with ugh, Woody Harrelson for both. Wow. Uh, that was okay. almost my All logic right. as well, Josh. All right. Okay, I, I, I have to say I think that this is the it is it's just too hard but i i feel like matthew mcconaughey is gonna win but i really like kevin spacey in the last season of house of cards that's great and i think that would be my pick i i wish kevin spacey would win uh because i feel like that he he was just stellar in that he becomes that character and i forget that he doesn't have a southern accent when i see him other places and and just that 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 character he embodies is so amazing, but I still loved Ke- uh, Matthew McConaughey's performance, and I think he's absolutely deserving of it. So I think he uh, will actually. First walk of all, away. let me clarify. Okay, what he does is not a southern accent. What I have is a southern <laughs> accent. <laughs> what he has is like, thank you very much. Uh, nobody talks like that, but whatever. That's but, but he, he's committed. Hey, you live in Louisiana. Yeah, he's it's Louisiana. It's You're Louisiana. from Alabama. Whatever, whatever. Anyway, yeah, it's fine. Exactly. Whatever. All right, and then let's do uh, actor in a comedy series. Uh, we've got the nominations Jim Parsons, The Big Bang Theory, Ricky Gervais, Derek, Matt LeBlanc in Episodes, Don Cheadle in House of Lies, Louis C.K. in Louie, and William H. Macy in Shameless. Chad. Okay, so if Jim, Pars- Jim Parsons will win, and yeah, it's the no. dumbest thing ever because that show is dumb and it's, it's not horrible. funny. Thank you. It's, it's horrible. It's not yeah. funny. Who should win is Louis C.K. for Louis because it's brilliant and funny and dark and challenging, and I love it. And he's who, he's who should win. Ricky Gervais and Derek is actually pretty good too, but uh, I think Jim Parsons will win and Louis C.K. should win. Melody, how about you? Well, the only two of these shows that I've seen are Big Bang Theory and Louie. So mine will probably be similar to Chad's, although I also think Big Bang Theory is an abomination. Uh, I suppose I will <laughs> predict Oh, Jim that's Parsons. anger. I really hate I, I just don't understand why people like it. Like, it's, not it's funny. I don't get I yeah. don't get it. But it's sure, insulting is what we'll it is. We'll predict for Jim Parsons. And I, I agree. Of, from what I know, I would pick Louie. CK to win. So that's my pick. Josh. Okay, so my only addition to the conversation so far is that Derek is the most depressing comedy I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, that's I can't very I true. can't watch it. I really can't watch it. It is ugh. But outside of that, ditto to absolutely everything Chad said. And I'm just so happy. It warms my heart to be amidst a group of people who hate the Big Bang Theory as it's, much as I do. It is terrible. It is it is awful, and I do not understand its popularity just at all. It's no. this is it's this shocking. is the popular culture conception of people who are intelligent. Absolutely I, I right. The, it's the, kind, like, the kind of people that like the Big Bang Theory are the kind of people that like Transformers. 
No comment. Boom. <laughs> Slam. The room went silent. It did. I, I, I just dropped the mic. <laughs> I despise the big leg theory. So it is. It is the people like. I picture the audience of the Big Bang Theory like I picture the cast of Idiocracy. If anyone saw that movie, yes, this is this is the people from Idiocracy laughing at smart people. Yeah, pretty much. So anyway, oh, okay. Jim Parsons will win. Louis should win. Done. All right, here's what I'm going to do to separate from the pack. You guys ready for this? Here we go. I think that um, well, I don't know who should win. I don't actually watch really any of these shows uh, loyally, to be honest with you. Um, but I think the one that will win will be Matt LeBlanc because I feel like he has been gone from Friends. If, if I believe this is his first nomination since then. So I feel Ooh. like there's going to be a little bit of like, oh, he's back and doing good work again. I feel like he's going to he'll walk away with it just because Matt LeBlanc. I think that's I don't know. I think that's the name. Maybe I'm completely wrong. I know nothing about it, but that's just where I'm going to go with it. All right. So Wait, what's your what's your pick? Uh, that is my pick. He, he's your prediction and your pick. Well, I don't I don't have a I don't have a personal pick because I don't you have watch to have any a pick. shows. Everyone has a pick. Yes, both of them. Follow the rules. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> and my wife, ladies and gentlemen. Way to go, man. Okay. She always does. Let's do uh, best comedy series. The Big Bang Theory, Louie, Modern Family, Orange is the New Black, Silicon Valley, and Veep. Chad. Okay, well, I have, to, I have seen all of these except for Silicon Valley. It is on my list. What? I'm, I want to see it. I oh. love Mike Judge. HBO got it. I know. Oh. It's on my list. I'm finishing some stuff, folks. Do it! I'm trying to finish the second season of The Americans, which is awesome. Anyway, that's next. Silicon Valley's next. But uh, what of what I know of these shows, I don't hate me, world, for saying this, but the I, I'm starting to agree with Josh that this season of Modern Family I still loved, but wasn't as funny as it has been historically. Um, but it was still great, and I That's still loved it. That's not agreeing with me. Yeah, because you say it's not funny. It, it, you say it's not funny. It's not. It wasn't. No, you, you, you said this season was still wonderful. It just it was. wasn't quite as wonderful as That's all the right. previous seasons. No, That's wait, true. you got to say, say it like Chad would. Wonderful. 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 Thank you very much. I've had enough of this abuse. (laughs) Okay. So I'm going to say the comedy that will win will be Modern Family. I think probably what should win based on what I've seen of these. I'm actually going to say... Do it. Do it. Do it. I'm probably going to have to say Louie. Yes. I was teetering between Louie and Orange is the New Black because I really like Orange is the New Black, but it's not super funny. So I'm going to go with Louie. Awesome. All right, Melody? Well, I'm very, very sad to to admit that I agree with Chad about the modern family situation that has happened this season. Like, I, I sit there and I try and laugh, but it's just, I feel like, I'm not really laughing. It's just kind of cute. Uh huh. So that doesn't get either of my votes. I'm very sad to say. Um, I have seen Silicon Valley though, and it's pretty good. And I hate Mike Judge, but it's still pretty good. <laughs> I'm gonna say that I think my pick is <laughs> Orange is the New Black, and my prediction is that too, because my friends like it, so I'm gonna go for it. That's a good. Wow. Reason. That's a good. <laughs> that is a good. All reason. right, <laughs> Josh. Okay, so I, I think part of me, part of me thinks it's very sweet that you guys are trying to trying to make me feel at home, but you really got to commit 
to the Modern Family opinion. If you're gonna, if you're gonna do it, do it. If Modern Family wins one more time, I will eat my shoe and <laughs> regurgitate it in the general direction of the television. Shoe? If this happens, no, I did not say literally, but yes, I will eat my shoe and then regurgitate it towards the television. I want, a, I want a cell phone video of that. We're yeah. gonna put it on a, on Done. a Facebook page. Done. It shall be done because what's not going to happen is Modern Family is not going to win again. It will be the Big Bang Theory, and that will be almost oh, as bad. But I will like eat my worse. boxers or something. Ooh, no, it's not worse. worse. It's not worse because Modern Family has won about seventeen times now, and I'm sick of it because they it's a terrible it show. Times. You're wrong. They've deserved it. It is an awful, awful show Appreciate that I watch every episode of. Right, no do we reason. have a mute button here? Let's let's move on. Let's move on. Let's, <laughs> okay. let, let, let's, I'm let's, breathing. I'm breathing. So my prediction is the Big Bang Theory. It's a very reluctant prediction, but uh, there it is. Yeah. Should win. Louis, close second being Silicon Valley. All right. So okay. I adored breathing. in every way, shape, or form and laughed more at Silicon Valley than I have... And it is what the Big Bang Theory wants to be, yeah. I think. And Silicon Valley is clever. It's funny. It is. It's great. I love. I love that. So for me, that would be my personal choice. Would be Silicon Valley to win. I think Veep will actually win this year because I. That's I feel a solid like, choice. I feel it's like again. Buzz. Yeah, I feel like again. Like Julie Leo Dreyfus. It's all these. In my opinion, it's going to be the comeback. This is the. This is the headline the day after Emmys. Like ninety stars come back and sweep Emmys or whatever, and I feel like Julie Louis Dreyfus with Seinfeld and yeah, but uh, she won last year too, though. Oh, I know, but and then we if, if the Matt if Matt um Matt LeBlanc wins with episodes, I feel like people will begin to see like, oh wow, these ninety stars are coming back in different ways in their HBO and Showtime. Um, Chris has stuff. a master plan, so that's that my is. master plan. That's where I'm going to go, and that's what I'm going to say to to kind of weed myself out of of the herd so we have uh selections in every single nominee here <laughs> it's been a pick or a prediction Woo. so we have no idea who's winning comedy good for us all right here we go best drama series we've got breaking bad downton abbey game of thrones house of cards mad men and true detective what wow what Okay. It is the longest you could have possibly taken to say a series of two word titles. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am I, I just don't know I don't shut up. I love <laughs> I love I love all of these except two. So um let's go with Chad. Let me guess. All right. So here's the deal. True Detective was one of my favorite shows of the last four or five years, but I was disappointed in the ending. Mad Men was very solid, but it's only half of the season, so I can't go there. House of Cards, second season, was fantastic. Worth it for the, the last episode, and certainly the last of the last episode. Game of Thrones was my favorite season of Game of Thrones thus far. Downton Abbey, again, continually solid, but not groundbreaking. Breaking Bad is the absolute perfect way to end a series and to just continually build tension breaking bad should win and it will good choice well, there you have it melody People, how could you argue with such logic okay um i more or less agree with all of that uh but you know what i have a special place in my heart for game of thrones so i'm gonna say that that's my pick uh, did Breaking Bad win last year? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's only been a half season. 
I'm going to go with Game of Thrones for both because it's been the best season of Game of Thrones. Have they won it before? No. I'm going to go with it for both. Awesome. All right. And let's see here, Josh. Okay. Chad and I are going to have to have a little conversation about the ending of True Detective, but we'll save that for later. So Breaking Bad split their last season into two halves like Mad Men is doing. They shot themselves in the foot, although they did win last year. They could have gone out on a win. They're not going to go out on a win this year. True Detective is going to steal the show. And it will win, and it should win. Nope. Maybe. Yep. End of story. Is is that your your pick and your prediction? Absolutely. Out of those, the only one I haven't seen is Game of Thrones. Just a couple episodes here and there. Well, in the new season of House of Cards. So I guess I can't talk about it either. All right, so I, I think I actually am going to go with you there, Josh, for my prediction Ooh. of True Detective. Um, that that show, I think, surprised everyone, and uh, I have a feeling it's going to actually walk away with it and win. Breaking Bad, I feel like they had their like moment of triumph, and to do it again, I feel like is a little I don't know. It feels like greedy. It's, it's yeah, a little. Want to say greedy? The second <laughs> season was better than the second half was better than the first half. It's going to win. It was, but they already won for the first half. So I politics. Cannot, I'm sorry, but Chad, I cannot agree with you more that it is one of the very. It is the best way to end a series ever, and it is one of the very best series of all time. I, I don't disagree ending. with that. But it's just still at the same time. I feel like they've already won for it in a way. I don't know. It's hard for me to describe that and, and quantify it. But what I think should win is House of Cards. I loved you. Love you some House of Cards. Season. So House of Cards is what I feel like should win. But I think True Detective is deserving and actually will win. All right. So there are our Emmy nominations. We will check back after August 25th. That is the day that the Emmys air on television and talk about who won, who didn't win, who should have won, and who had the worst dress. All right. So uh, that's it for Cutting Room Floor. Thanks again, guys, for tuning into the Screeners podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us some feedback so we can convince Josh to come back for good because we definitely need him and his take on the medias of today. Be sure to watch our Facebook page for updates and articles to comment on and dialogue with us about. And while you're there, let us know what you thought of the episode. And also don't forget to stop by ScreenersPodcast.com to read our show notes. And you can also send us an email at ScreenersCast at gmail.com to tell us what you'd like to hear about in future shows. And go review us on iTunes. Help us spread the word. Thanks, guys. That's it for this episode, but we'll be back soon. Have a great one. And that's a wrap. You've heard what the screeners had to say. Now you be the critic. Head over to ScreenersPodcast.com and let us know what you think. See you next time.